welcome to the Enlorm podcast series, a series that focuses exclusively on patients now referred to as having nanorare mutations. I'm Stan Crook, and I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Enlorm. Enlorm is a nonprofit foundation that I initiated in January of 2020. Our mission at Enlorm is to take advantage of the technology we created at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, Anisense Technology, or ASO Technology, to discover, develop, and provide experimental ASO treatments to nanorail patients, and to do that for free for life. I Sing the Body Electric is the title of a Walt Whitman poem, which, if I remember correctly, was published in Leaves of Grass, a collection of poems that Whitman published in the mid-1850s. It is, of course, an ode to the human body, but it also reflects advances in the first half of the 19th century that showed that we are electrical machines. In fact, later advances demonstrated that every cell in our body is an electrical machine. To be precise, we and most of our cells are chemoelectric machines, meaning that we convert chemical energy to electrical energy. And as you know, from high school physics, the conversion of energy from one form to another is imperfect, and some of that energy will escape, typically as radiant energy. And we measure lost radiant energy as heat, and the units of heat are calories. Retinal cells and epithelial cells of the skin are exceptions. Retinal cells convert photons, little packets of energy and light, into chemical energy, then convert chemical energy into electrical energy to transmit the information collected by retinal cells to the vision centers of our brain via the optic nerve. So retinal cells are photochemoelectric machines. Epithelial cells in the skin convert photons of light energy to chemical energy. So they are photochemical machines. And the heat that you feel when you're sitting in the sun is in part heat generated by the energy wasted in the conversion of light energy to chemical energy. Kind of neat. So, key points. We and the cells in our body are chemoelectric machines. Retinal cells are photochemoelectric machines, and epithelial cells in the skin are photochemical machines. We make and use energy of various types, and, and we are really efficient at doing that job. Otherwise, our species wouldn't exist. Now, cells are themselves chemoelectric machines. Essentially, all the cells in your body have a net positive charge at the surface of the plasma membrane that's facing the environment. You probably didn't know that. But every one of your cells at the outside of those cells has a net positive charge relative to the charge on the inside of the plasma membrane. In other words, then, the plasma membrane, the outer membrane of your cells, are polarized. And that is that they have a positive charge at the outside of the cell membrane and a negative charge on the inside of the cell membrane. Now, cells become polarized by altering the ions 
charged molecules that are allowed to enter the cell and therefore creating different gradients of ions on the outside versus the inside of the cell. And cells become polarized most of the time by using chemical energy to prevent sodium ions from entering while allowing potassium ions to enter. Your cells are spending a lot of energy every minute of every day keeping sodium out and letting potassium in. Remember, they're both very small ions, and so you'd think that both of them would go in very nicely. Not true. In fact, you can measure that. The amount of sodium just outside the cell is about 142 milliequivalents, and the amount of potassium is only 4.5 milliequivalents. Okay, so what's a milliequivalent? It doesn't matter. It's just a measure of the concentration of something in water or in solution. If you think about it from the perspective of the sodium ion, if you were sitting outside one of your cells, you would have a lot of pressure pushing you to go across that membrane and balance out the concentration. You know, molecules move from high concentration to low concentration naturally. If you were a sodium ion, you'd be liking to find a less crowded environment. You can think of it as peer pressure to leave what is a crowded big city and go to the suburbs. That's just energy. And that drive, that pressure to equalize sodium concentrations on both sides of the membrane is called an electromotive force, which is just a fancy term, meaning that your sodium ions are concentrated kind of high at the outside of the cell, and you have peer pressure to, to reduce the crowding outside the cell there. That's all it means. And it's electromotive because the ions are charged, and all electricity is the movement of charged particles. All cell membranes are polarized, but all cell membranes can depolarize. This means that instead of having a net difference in charge on the outside of the membrane versus the inside of the membrane, the charge is neutralized. And it can do this really easily. All it has to do is stop spending chemical energy to prevent sodium from entering the cell. So when it's time for a membrane to depolarize, you just stop wasting your time and energy preventing sodium ions from doing what they want to do, let them in, and suddenly you have depolarized. And so your cell, the longer is positively charged on the outside, is roughly equally charged on both sides. That's depolarization. And these things are important concepts. They're how cells work. Cells are polarized, and they can undergo depolarization, and that changes the way that that membrane behaves and changes the cell. There are also specialized cells that polarize and depolarize at regular intervals. Why, why would you want that? Why would you want to have a cell that basically has an unstable charge? Why would you possibly want that to happen? Because in order for some things to happen, they need to happen regularly. For example, you have to have your heart beat at regular intervals. Have you ever asked how in the hell that happens? It's kind of interesting to think about. The reason it happens is you, has a met you have a metronome in your heart. And it's called the SA node. And these cells are specialized to depolarize and repolarize at regular intervals. And that starts an electrical field that travels down the heart and tells the heart to contract or relax. How would you know to have your heart beat 70 times a minute if there wasn't a nerve center, a metronome, telling it to do it and when to do it? 
This business of, of having a charged membrane and being able to polarize and depolarize is the essence of why you're alive. If you didn't do that, you couldn't be alive. It's really that simple. So these cells that are specialized to move ions around at regular intervals are all the cells that you might think about. Nerve cells. How does your brain work? Your brain is an electrical organ. Your brain cells are constantly moving ions, polarizing, depolarizing, and that sends an electrical signal to other brain cells. And then cells like the metronome of your heart, the SA node, the cells that are smooth muscle cells in your gut and your genital urinary tract, because you have to have what's called peristalsis, which is movement of materials down your gut and down your genital urinary tract in order for you to get rid of waste. Key point, the outside of the plasma membrane of the cells in your body, all of them are charged. Typically, they're positively charged. All cells can depolarize and repolarize simply by deciding how much sodium they let in at any particular time. But there are specialized cells, including nerve cells, cells in the SA node of your heart, and smooth muscle cells that polarize and depolarize regularly so that you can manage the functions that you have to manage. That's how you end up being an electrical machine and how you end up having a nervous system. Isn't that kind of interesting? Have you ever asked, how come I have a nervous system? And how do I do all the things that I do every day without thinking about it? We're going to get to that. So you have a nervous system. And of course, you know <laughs> that you have a nervous system divided in two parts central nervous system, your brain and your spinal cord, and your peripheral nervous system, nerves to all the places out in your body. Nervous system, central nervous, peripheral nervous. And you have two things that you have to do. One is you have to sense the environment, and two, you have to respond to the environment. So naturally, you have two types of nerve fibers. Fibers whose job it is to sense what's going on in your environment, and fibers whose job it is to take instructions from the brain and tell your body how to respond to what's going on in your environment. So you put your hand near a flame, it feels heat. It feels it because sensory fibers are firing. They are undergoing depolarization because of the heat, and they're doing it faster because of the heat. You feel it as heat first, pain next two different kinds of sensory fibers. That electrical signal goes to your brain, and then your brain sends an electrical signal back saying, hmm, let's move my hand. Voluntary. That is your voluntary nervous system. On the other hand, there are functions that have to go on every second of every day of which you are totally unaware. And such functions are essential if you're to stay alive and if you're going to be able to respond to your environment. Those are involuntary activities, and that is an involuntary nervous system. And we call that nervous system, which is by far the most ancient nervous system. If you think about your brain, you have a cortex that came much later than the core of your brain, which is managing all these processes that you never have to think about at all. We call that involuntary nervous system the autonomic nervous system, meaning that it's an automaton. It takes place, and you don't ever have to think about it with the big part of your brain. And so it just functions independently. It's autonomic. Your autonomic nervous system functions when you're asleep, 
you all know about coma, that many people can live in a coma for decades. That's because their autonomic system is keeping them alive, but their higher levels are gone. They are unaware of being alive, as far as we know. They're certainly unable to react to the environment, but their autonomic system is just functioning just beautifully. The difference between life and death is not thinking. The difference between life and death is whether your heart's beating, whether your lungs are breathing, and whether you are continuing to function in your autonomic processes. So you have a voluntary, key points, you have a voluntary and an autonomic nervous system. Now let's move to the autonomic nervous system. Let's just first start with a catalog of all the things that happen every minute of every day that have to keep happening, whether you think about them or not, in order for you to stay alive and do what you need to do. Well, let's think about it. What about pupils? You leave a dark room and go to the outside where the sun is shining brightly. What happens? Your pupils have to constrict. Now, let's say you turn around and say, hmm, that's kind of bright out here. And let me go get my glasses that I forgot. What happens with your pupils? They have to dilate so that you can still see the amount of light that's available has changed. That happens millions of times a day. Working down, the glands in your mouth and in your neck and in various parts of your head and face have to make saliva and other things to help you eat and drink. It's going on all the time. The esophagus has to take food that you eat and move it down to the stomach in a motion that we call peristalsis. Happens without your thinking about it. The lungs have to inflate and deflate multiple times a minute. That's interesting because that's an involuntary autonomic function that takes that uses what you, we think of as voluntary muscles, the muscles of the chest and the muscles of the diaphragm. The heart has to beat regularly and it has to respond when you lie down versus get up. What happens when you are lying down and you get up? It's amazing what happens. First, your pulse goes up and if it doesn't, you feel faint. If you've ever gotten up really fast and you felt sort of faint-headed, that's your cardiovascular system, your heart and your blood vessels adjusting to the change in posture. It takes a little bit of time to get that right. It all happens without your thinking about it, but if it didn't happen, you wouldn't be able to get up and you certainly wouldn't be able to stay up. Now, your heart has to beat regularly and it has to beat faster if you're running versus if you're walking or if you're sitting. Not only that, but you also have to control your blood pressure. So you have to have something that either contricts your vessels so you have higher pressure or dilates them so you have lower pressure. The respiratory tract is constantly assailed by particles, viruses, all kinds of stuff. It has to have the ability to trap those in mucus and move, that, move those particles back up so you can get rid of them. All that's going on every minute, every day. Same in, same in the stomach. It has to make acid. You have to move contents from your stomach to your bowels and then so on. Same for the urinary tract, and I could go on and on and on. If you just stop and think about it for a little bit, you'll be astonished at the range of activities that you have to do every minute of every day just to be who you are and to do what you do. If you had to design a system to do that, what would you do? Well, let's start with the eye. I could move within a few seconds from a dark room to the bright sun. Well, that means I have to be able to constrict my pupils so I'm not blinded by the sun. But if I turn around, I have to go back in to pick something up I forgot. That means I have to dilate. Two diametrically opposed steps that you have to take. If you said that's going to be the case pretty much 
for every organ, then you would probably design a system that has two parts. One that constricts or produces an increased sort of activity, and the other that slows things down. And that's exactly what your autonomic nervous system has. You have a sympathetic system and a parasympathetic system. And it doesn't mean, sympathetic doesn't mean that your sympathetic system is deeply feeling and your parasympathetic isn't. Sympathetic refers to the nature of the chemical transmitter. And so the sympathetic system releases a chemical called norepinephrine or epinephrine, you think of it as adrenaline, and your parasympathetic system releases a chemical called acetylcholine. So you have an autonomic nervous system divided in two parts, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic systems, and in general, they do the opposite things. In every organ they integrate. So the sympathetic system dilates your pupil, and the parasympathetic system constricts it. The sympathetic system increases your heart rate and increases blood pressure, and as a general rule, the parasympathetic slows your heart down and relaxes your blood vessels. Same in every organ. That is the parasympathetic system. It's really simple. Two arms to the, to the sympathetic system, and they tend to do the opposite effects. They do that by using two different chemicals. One is what you think of as adrenaline or noradrenaline, and the other is acetylcholine. And what do those chemicals do? They're released from nerves, cross a little space called the synapse, bind to receptors, and you convert that chemical into an electrical energy for a little bit, and then into new chemical energy. We just created the autonomic nerve system, you and I. It took evolution probably hundreds of thousands of years to do what we, you and I just did in a couple of minutes. I guess we're smarter than evolution. That's the autonomic nervous system. You now know that you have it and that it's really, really, really important to you. So, key points. The autonomic nervous system manages an incredible array of organs and processes to assure that you stay alive and that you function. You like your autonomic nervous system. You would rather not have problem with your autonomic nervous system, and many patients do. And to meet your needs, you have an autonomic nervous system that's divided in two parts, sympathetic and parasympathetic nerves. And as a general rule, those two different elements of the autonomic nervous system do the opposite things. So every organ that needs it gets innervated by both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system so that you can either do more or do less of whatever you need to do, depending on what your activities are. The sympathetic system is what you've heard about causing the fight or flight reflex. Let's say you're assaulted by a, a bully. What do you have to do? Well, you certainly don't want to stop and urinate. That would be sort of the last thing you'd like to do. What you'd really like to do is run like the Dickens. That's the fight or flight reflex driven by the sympathetic system. It causes your heart rate to go faster, causes you to breathe more rapidly, causes your blood pressure to go up, gives you all the things that you need to get away or to fight. In the meantime, it's also managing a bunch of sphincters so that they're clothed. So even if you thought you had to go to the bathroom, you don't notice it and you're not going to because you sure don't want to stop and have whoever's chasing you, say that lion, decide to eat you. So that's the fight or flight reflex. On the other hand, when it's over and you're scared to death and you're a little sick, that's your parasympathetic system saying, oh, well, you forgot all about me. And uh, now that we're safe, can't I just express my displeasure at the fact that you put me in a difficult spot? That's the autonomic nervous system. I think I've already given you a bunch of examples. 
the fight-or-flight reflex. You have to control movement in one direction or another in various places. You have these little valves called sphincters that determine that the acid you make in your stomach doesn't go to your esophagus. You can control when you urinate and defecate and all that sort of stuff. And all of that's driven by your autonomic nervous system. And it's all tied to giving you the ability to survive in what potentially can be a very hostile environment. And so that's the autonomic nervous system. And so in conclusion, it takes a lot to keep you alive and kicking, and you should be happy about that. It all happens without your having to think about it, and that's another good thing, because you had to think about that, you would never think about anything else, would you? The system that manages that is called the autonomic nervous system, comprised of two types of nerve fibers, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And you are chemoelectric machine. And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope, and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at enlorem.org. Search Enlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.